Welcome to Solo 2.0, an empowerment podcast hosted by two sisters living in LA, making their way through the health and wellness world. I'm Ryan Birch. And I'm Jess Dukan. Each week, we're committed to bringing you conversations with risk-taking, resilient guests from diverse backgrounds, interviews with experts on controversial or misunderstood topics that will expand your perspective, and lively roundtable discussions with our mom, hormone health educator, Candace Birch. We're driven to provide the support and motivation needed to ignite growth, confidence, and purpose so you can step into that 2.0 version of you. We can't wait to dig into these conversations and hope you'll join us every week for a new episode. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Solo 2.0 podcast. I'm Ryan, co-founder of Your Hormone Balance. And I'm Jess, holistic health coach and founder of Body Bliss by Jess. Ryan and I are especially excited about today's episode with Taylor Nolan, who is best known from ABC's The Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise, but ultimately focuses on spreading awareness on taboo topics like mental health and sexuality. Taylor received her master's in clinical mental health counseling from Johns Hopkins University and practices as a licensed mental health counselor in Washington state. She also has a podcast, Let's Talk About It with Taylor Nolan, which aims to reduce stigmas on topics that make us feel uncomfortable, which are usually the most important ones to discuss. Each episode serves as an example for listeners on how to lean into these taboo topics and have conversations that are authentic, lead to deeper understanding and connection, and that they can ultimately have in their everyday life. We truly do admire Taylor's Instagram presence, where she communicates openly and authentically with her followers and gets real honest about all facets of her life, diving diving deep into areas that she feels are important, even if they might appear controversial. So in this episode, we talk about Taylor's upbringing and her experience with racism when she was young and how this impacted her life, why she ultimately decided to go to school to become a therapist and what drew her into the line of work of wanting to help people. What made her decide to apply to be a contestant on the top rated dating show, The Bachelor, the depression that she experienced as a result of being on the show and how she pulled herself out of it, plus why she decided to be a contestant on Bachelor in Paradise afterwards, how she deals with cyberbullying and trolls, especially after her time on the show, what kinds of people can benefit from therapy and breaking down stigmas around it, especially when it comes to what a therapist should quote unquote look or act like why she started her podcast, and some of her favorite topics to dissect and demystify, including sexuality, toxic monogamy, and female masturbation, the signs of toxic monogamy, and the difference between setting boundaries and ultimatums, plus what she's super excited about in her business and her love life right now. So before we get into the episode, we wanted to touch a little bit on our own relationship to our bodies and sexuality, because it's not exactly something that Ryan and I were raised talking a lot about. And, you know, it just wasn't, we weren't one of those families that openly talked about sex. And I I don't think that that's abnormal, but it just wasn't something that came up a lot for us. And, um, I didn't really find that I was curious even in exploring that. And I think, you know, even at, from a young age, I would be really uncomfortable changing in front of other girls in the locker room. And I think that that's something that even to this day, I'll go to the gym and I will change, you know, in the bathroom or like have a towel around me. And, um, I, I didn't really feel comfortable talking about sex with friends. And I remember having friends who would talk openly about it and not just maybe who they had slept with, but like 
pleasuring themselves and being horny and all that stuff. And it always made me feel uncomfortable and I would shy away from it. And fortunately I did have a friend in college who's still my best friend who wanted to be a sex therapist at one point and she really made me open up. And I think that that helped a lot. And so now being a health coach, um, I think it's very important for me to be more open about it, especially because I do work with clients who, um, you know, struggle with a low libido, no sex drive, um, mostly from hormonal imbalances, um, but just really want to feel more connected to their partner. And I think what I've learned so much this year is that, you know, it really is about forming that relationship with yourself first, because it should be about you. And so I actually hosted, co-hosted with the detox and chill podcast, a sexuality event, which was really cool this year where we brought different women and had a panel and just really opened up about it. And, and we had all these different vendors with different sort of like sexual enhancing products like lubes and, and, and tinctures. And we had like a whole board of like aphrodisiac treats. And it was really, really cool because so many of the women came up to me afterwards and said, we need more of this. We need more education. We need to be talking about this. And I think that that's something Taylor does a great job of. So with that said, I am not in a place still where I am like the sex girl. Like I definitely don't bring it up often. And, you know, I still like, I'm, I don't walk around the house naked. Like I always love to go to bed with like sweatpants on. I like a sheet over me. Um, and I think that that's just, I mean, it's something I would like to change, but it's not, um, yeah, I'm not super comfortable with it yet, but I think when we talk about, cause I feel like probably a lot of you can relate to maybe feeling uncomfortable when it comes to talking about things like masturbation and exploring your sexuality and feeling sexy and maybe even like wearing lingerie for yourself, you know, and no one else. Um, but it can feel so far off to think about, Oh, just start playing with toys or, you know, go to a sex club or go to a strip club or watch porn. You know, it's like, Oh, I I don't think I personally could do that right off the bat. So I think starting in a way that's a little bit more approachable to you, if it is something that you want to explore more. And I think one of those ways, some of the things that have helped me, like I mentioned is, having conversations with close girlfriends or guy friends or anybody who is comfortable talking about it and just kind of get used to, you know, that conversation. And it doesn't have to be like talking about all these different positions or like, well, just be, just be you. Like you don't have to be, like you were saying, I'm never going to be the sex girl. Like that's not you. And some people are just very sexually comfortable, mostly because they were raised that way. Right. But yeah, don't, I mean, there's no need to like force it. Well, I'm not saying like, Hey, go to a friend and be like, let's talk about sex. Yeah. Yeah. But I think sometimes I've noticed in the past, I've shied away from those conversations Mm -hmm. with those with people that talk about it yeah. or like not gone to events that yeah. might be sexually centered, you know, even if it's like a wellness event, like, Oh, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, and you know, it can be uncomfortable because a lot of times at those events, you have to like turn to the person next to you and talk about, you know, things that might make you feel uncomfortable. And so I think just if you get into a conversation or if you have a friend that, you know, does open up about it, maybe just exploring what it feels like to, to talk a little bit about it as women, Mm -hmm. you know, with someone that you trust. And that truly did help me because my girlfriend who wanted to be a sex therapist, who's now a nurse, um, she really like got me to the place where I was able to sit around and like drink a glass of wine and, and, and talk about it. Um, and then I think, you know, if you don't, 
masturbate and you don't, you know, touch your body regularly. I think just simple ways of, of getting more in touch with your own body. So I think finding a lotion that you really love and maybe creating a ritual, like an evening routine where you rub it on your legs and Taylor talks about like squeezing your legs and, um, you rub it, you know, on your arms and maybe your boobs and just getting closer to yourself and spending that time with yourself. Cause we're so often so rushed that maybe we get out of the shower and we just like slap on, on some lotion and it's still like not even rubbed in and we're like going on to the next thing. So I think just being a little bit more sensual with yourself can feel really good. And then trying on, trying out something like maybe it's not a toy right away. Maybe it's like a lube, you know, if you look online, there's a lot of different ones. I personally love the ones that are organic and don't have, you know, a bunch of like fragrances and added stuff that probably aren't good for your body. Um, but I love Woo More Play, which is actually, isn't it the Skinny Confidentials brand? Yeah. And it's made with like coconut oil and beeswax and um, some essential oils. And it just smells really good, has stevia. So it tastes like vanilla-y and that's just like a fun thing to kind of bring into the bedroom, whether it's you or with your partner. And it's really simple, you know, so something like that. And there's a lot of great, like women owned companies like Coco Levee. Um, she was actually at my event and she has this beautiful coconut lube that just the packaging is really sensual and sexy. And, and I love that one as well. So, um, I think just finding small ways to reconnect, um, with yourself, you know, taking yourself out for like a fun dinner or even just having a fancy dinner at home, light a candle, um, plate it in a nice way. Maybe listen to some like jazzy, sexy music and, and rub your lotion on. So, um, that would be, those would be some of my tips and, and I'm no expert in this area, but I think starting small for me at least is what has helped. And I'm still on that journey. So I would love any tips y'all have too. Yeah. And I think, just having a sort of confidence routine in your day. Like I work from home and I so much of the time look like a slob. Like I'm just in my pajamas from the night before all through the day. Cause no one has to see me. And like, I don't feel very sexy. I can attest to the fact that most <laughs> of the time when Ryan and I are podcasting, we're in sweats. Yeah. And I mean, like, I don't care to get dressed up just for you or for like to be home. (laughs) That's not why, like I'm comfortable being in comfortable clothes, but on, I think that I could do a better job of like on certain days dressing up and feeling good and, and not for anybody but myself. But, But I think we all recognize that when we're in clothes that fit well, that we look good in or maybe we have our hair done a certain way or whatever it is. If it's just chapstick, like I have a nice, <laughs> I have a True. nice tinted chapstick that like, cause I don't use lipstick that makes me feel good. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be, I'm not a big makeup person or, and never do my hair, but like just little things that make me feel better are going to make me feel more confident, going to make me feel more sexy. And so, um, I'm also saying this as something to myself that I think I do need to make some more effort in the week because when I do feel like a slob that like translates to my mental state, my confidence and all of that. So, Oh yeah. Although I love not having to put a lot of time into getting ready, there is a flip side to that. And so I would say that's one thing, um, that I think is important and like a confidence routine can also include like getting your, for me, it's like a strength training workout in before, 
I don't know, a hard meeting or something that I want to feel really strong and powerful for. Mm -hmm. And this is going outside of just sexuality, but like there can be these things that just make you feel stronger and sexier. So if that's like weight training, if that's wearing a color that's really bright and vibrant, like I like to wear red on days when I'm like having a date night or Mm -hmm. whatever. So just thinking about those little things that just like bring you up a notch. I also think just to like go off that too, because I'm such a big fan of, of dressing for how you want to feel. And I too will wear workout clothes most of the week. And there's such a difference in my mindset when I actually dress up, Mm -hmm. but I think, yeah, it's like accentuating areas that you are confident in. And sometimes I feel like as a woman, you're almost like embarrassed if you have like a bigger chest and you like you know, wear you, you like to wear a low cut shirt from time to time, or you want to wear short shorts cause you like your legs. And sometimes you don't cause you don't want to be judged for it. But if that makes you feel good, then there's always ways to, to do it that, that look and make you feel comfortable and, and who cares yeah. what anybody thinks. Yeah. And, and you'll hear those comments like, Oh, you're just, you're going to get attention from men, you yeah. know? And it's like, you're asking for it. The, yeah. It's like, no, that this is an asset of mine and mm-hmm. I feel good or I like feeling this way for whatever to go on a date with my fiance, you know, like yeah. this is my choice, it's my body. But I think a key takeaway from this conversation with Taylor is, is just that it's like, she talks a lot about these topics that people are so worked up about and they have so many opinions about and they go to great lengths to go online and bully people, including her about their opinions. And trust me, like some of the things Taylor talked about, like I am in a monogamous relationship and I do think that it works for me really well. And I don't have a desire to be in an open relationship But I found it so fascinating what she explained uh, her views on it. And I completely, I've been loving hearing people talk about open relationships Mm -hmm. and like we have friends that are swingers and like, you know, it's, it's, it's keeping an open mind is the key point. Like how can we, how can people be so quick to judge? Like it's just not understanding that lifestyle. So it's easier to judge it sometimes than try to like meet somebody who, who experiences it and loves it themselves or like do research on it. It's like, Oh, well that's not what is acceptable in these rigid standards of society. So like, I'm just going to write it off, but it's also like, it's not going to work in your life. That's completely fine. Oh, totally. But you are projecting that and saying when people judge like this, saying that someone else is living the wrong way because you're basing them off of your value Mm -hmm. system. And, and that's just not fair. And so I love these conversations because it really opens your mind and it's kind of just, it's so fun to, to just have an open mind. It doesn't mean that that would be something you do or that, it's just who knows where life will take us and who knows what friends you'll have. And it's just so important to respect people's choices and, and exercise understanding, exercise like, understanding. It's like when you go to another culture or another country and you want to learn about the culture and you want to eat their food and you want to like experience their way of life or you want to ask questions about it, at least maybe you have no plans on ever speaking that language, eating that food or living that lifestyle, but it's cool to know about it and to kind of like immerse yourself in it and, and and like, for example, foods that people eat in other countries can be so gross to oh, us. Oh, yeah. Like, I know when you lived in Korea, there were like <laughs> some things that are just crazy. But yeah, okay, don't eat it. But like, that is just the point being, it just made me really sad how this bullying really deeply impacted Taylor. And it's like, 
the things that people are saying are so unnecessary. And so anyway, just coming back to my point about like having an open mind, I wanted to say that like one way to be able to learn more about, um, different preferences that people have and different lifestyles, I think is listening to more podcasts on topics like this. And there's been a couple episodes I've listened on other podcasts that I thought were really helpful in opening my mind. I, you just referenced Skinny Confidential, and that is one of my favorite podcasts, the Him and Her podcast, because they do cover a lot of taboo topics as well. I love that one. And they are, like, I would say Lauren's pretty out there and just, like, not giving a shit what yeah. people think. <laughs> and I love that about her. Um, and I, I will say at first I was judgy of her, because she is, oh, me she's too. a big personality and she looks like a Barbie and, but like I, now I think she's hilarious and I love that she is unapologetically who she is. And I might not agree with a lot of like, maybe some of her choices or whatever. And not that I don't, but like at first you can be judgmental. And then when you see someone just fully being themselves, how can you judge? Like she's loving her best life Mm -hmm. and doing it just the way she wants to. And I think that's so cool. And so their podcast has had, um, Alice little on, she is the highest paid legal sex worker in the country. And I was all ready to like judge to be honest, Mm -hmm. like how this woman can be a sex worker. And in listening to her, she was so smart, so well-spoken, so logical. Like it was really just about like sex education and her explanation of her clients and how she works with them. It was like, it was really mind blowing. Like it it fully changed my perspective. I haven't listened to that one yet. It's a good, it's a really good one. And then they also, interviewed a guy named Aubrey Marcus that some of you might know. He's the CEO of Onnit, which is a really huge like health wellness business. And he has his own podcast and he is in an open relationship. And he and his fiance did a interview with Lauren and Michael on Skinny Confidential, which was really also eye-opening about open relationships. And then they've done a series of others. And I just looked on his website, Aubrey Marcus. He has like a bunch of resources. If you're looking to understand open relationships more, he's just super open about that. And then I'll say too, watching films, shows, or documentaries about these taboo topics. Like I recently got really into the deuce on HBO and it's about the, um, sex workers in the seventies in New York, right before pornography took off before pornography was legal. And it's like the evolution of that industry and how a lot of these women started getting into porn from being prostitutes, but really just like understanding who they are, these complex female characters, like what brought them to the streets, like what pain they deal with. Mm -hmm. And just like, that understanding is so crucial because of course most of us wouldn't see ourselves ever doing that. But like when you can understand where people came from and the sacrifices they are making for the circumstances they are in, it's like, it just, again, it's so important to just have empathy and, Mm -hmm. and you can still be like, okay, wouldn't do that. That's a dumb choice. That's crazy. Whatever. That's your individual. But like when it goes to like writing a comment or bullying someone else for that, that's just, it's not fair. Yeah. I I really like that you pointed that out because we are so quick to judge in many scenarios. Like men and women will go to strip clubs and watch these women and be like, ugh, but I would like, gross. I would never do that, you know, but you're like sitting there watching them strip and a lot of them, you know, they're doing it to support a child or it's like, 
they're, they're super down and out and maybe this was the last resort for them or maybe they love it. I don't know, but like yeah. it, and, and why not? You know, if they, if they do love it and it's something they're passionate about, they, do you, you yeah. know? And I think it is important to, to, like you said, exercise understanding and compassion and, and you don't have to do that. You don't have to have that lifestyle yourself. You don't have to take part in it. But I you don't even really have to support it. It's just understanding it. and accepting it that, that that that's their lifestyle. And yeah. the way I'm talking about it is 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 as if like people listening are being bullied. That's not what I mean. No. I'm sure that most people listening are not trolls online. <laughs> like I don't think that's our audience. No. But I just have I I've been getting worked up thinking about how this cyberbullying thing has gotten so out of control after talking with Taylor yesterday. It's just like really it just like really hit my heart. It hurt. It hurt my heart because there was one of the one of the photos that she posted. She wrote reposted kind of like a sexy photo of herself with a quote that somebody had sent her, like a DM someone had sent her that was like, "You look like a twelve year old boy. Like put on some pants." And she just talked about how, like how that hit her and how she gets DMs and comments like that all the time. But just how she needs to continue to, you know know that she is worthy and how hard would that be if you're bombarded with Mm. those kinds of messages all the time? Like just think about when you get one negative comment in a day or one negative thing in your life that someone says about your appearance, how, how that can affect you. Yeah. I can think of a couple comments that happened 15, 20 years ago that I, that have still kind of impacted the way I think about my body. So getting that on a daily basis or like hourly basis, even you have to be really, really strong and or you become, become, you become resilient. And you, yeah, you, I think getting Taylor, through the storm of it all. Yeah. Taylor definitely has had to have a thicker skin, but I think having to go through it has made her a much stronger person and an advocate for these things and opened up her mind and given she has this platform now to share and to use her voice. And she does that in a really beautiful, powerful way. So, you know, there are some things that you may not agree with. There are some things that you may be like right on, you know, but regardless, just listen with an open mind. And I think that you're really going to enjoy this episode because we definitely did. And Taylor's a really cool girl. We could have hung out for a lot longer. (laughs) Yeah. Enjoy this interview with Taylor Nolan. Taylor, thanks so much for joining Ryan and I for um, this episode. We know that you're in town for a really short amount of time and you probably mm-hmm. have a super stacked schedule. Yes. Um, so thank you. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. We were super drawn to you because we've been following you on social media for a while mm-hmm. and listening to your podcast and we love your honesty and, and yeah. raw rawness and thank the fact you. that you talk about subjects that might be a little bit taboo mm-hmm. to some. Yeah. And that's super inspiring to us with the new podcast. So yeah. we love that. Thank and you. you're such a dynamic woman. You truly are. The fact that, I mean, so many people know you for your appearances on The Bachelor mm-hmm. and Bachelor in Paradise, but you're so much more than just that. You are a therapist mm-hmm. and you are an influencer mm-hmm. and you have this platform yeah. where you interview incredible women and men mm-hmm. and, and really share important messages. So yeah. 
we feel like we have so much to talk to you about. Yes. Um, but before we get into all of that, we want to go back to little mm-hmm. Taylor yeah. and your upbringing <laughs> and sort of some of those early mm-hmm. influences that led you in the direction um, of where you are today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of that. It's so sweet. You're like going to make me cry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I started out, my mom actually, I guess somewhat of a teen pregnancy. Um, she was pregnant at 19 and then had me a month after she turned 20. So she was a very young mm-hmm. mom and, um, I'm half black, half white. And we lived in South Jersey at the time. And, um, my mom really didn't have, she had a little bit of a rough childhood. And so I think she really wanted me to have like the best life possible, right. And to have a better childhood than she had. And her dating life was not super successful in, in Jersey. Um, and when I was about four years old, she, um, like I wasn't really having a relationship with my biological dad. He had just graduated high school when I was born and like everyone in, in that town in Jersey just kind of stays in Jersey. And, you know, he, he, I guess had tried to go to community college up North and just like got into, you know, selling drugs and staying back in that town. And, um, my mom basically decided she wasn't going to tell anyone where she was going and like moved me all the way to Seattle and her mom. So my mom, mom, uh, grew up in Washington. And so that was how my mom came up with that. And it was like the most, the farthest place possible (laughs) from Jersey. (laughs) Yeah. So she just like up and moved me and didn't tell anyone where I was going. And so raised me as a single mom in Seattle. And that's where she met, you know, my stepdad, Jason, who was in the air force. And, um, that was why I had to move and do middle school in South Carolina and then do high school in Baltimore. And, um, yeah, there's, so many things just in between that time that have helped to shape me. Um, probably one of the biggest pieces of that was my time in, um, in South Carolina in middle school. Cause it was a little traumatic. Really? <laughs> yeah. The South. Yes. Yeah. It, it was a huge culture difference going from Seattle to South Carolina. And I was aware of the fact that I was, I guess, half black, half white when I think back. Like, it was just kind of like, yeah, like, I'm just me, you know? Like, I had friends of all different backgrounds in Seattle when I lived there. And when I moved to South Carolina was the first time it was like, oh, I'm I'm black. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I, I see that this is a thing and that, like, I'm different. And just experienced a lot of bullying around my race and, you know, I was too white for the black girls and I was too black for the white girls and in the South, like they did not give a fuck. And so they were (laughs) like very honest, you know, and experienced a lot of racism there. And even one of my best friends, um, you know, who just, I really did my best to support in all of her own mental health traumas. And, um, she had always had my back when people were, you know, calling me names and, uh, being mean and then you know I remember one time like she used it against me and like called me the n-word and then I basically was like I'm running away and was like I'm going back to Seattle and like um it's funny because like you don't necessarily think of those things as being big things when you're going through them and throughout um you know college and graduate school I've done so much reflection just around my racial identity and it's it really all goes back to that South Carolina experience and it's a difficult journey. (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine the culture shock. And like you said, you never really thought about being different. And then all of a sudden you're put into a box and it's almost like you have to choose, which is so unfair and so wrong. Yeah. I can see how difficult that experience must have been for you, especially at such a pivotal point in your growth. So we thank you for sharing. Transitioning back to Seattle Mm -hmm. when you moved back, um, what, you know, where did you take things from there? And when did you start to kind of decide that you wanted to move in the direction of becoming a therapist? Yeah. Well, first I, I realized I wanted to be a therapist when I was still in Baltimore. I was in high school and took my first AP class and it was an AP psych class. And I was just like, wow, this is fantastic. Like I'm actually enjoying what I'm learning. And this seems like the most practical, logical things that you should be learning about in school as opposed to like triangle sides. I don't know. That like was not my jam. Um, and from there I did my bachelor's in psychology at Stevenson University in Baltimore County. And then from there I was like, before that actually I I was considering moving back to Seattle to do school there. Um, but you know, was very close to my family and wanted to stay somewhat close to them. And Stevenson was like 30 minutes from where they lived. Um, and then, was going to come back to Seattle to graduate school, but had, uh, had a boyfriend and we both applied to, um, I think actually, no, he, he applied first cause he graduated before me, but I applied to Loyola and Hopkins and got into Hopkins and he was going to Hopkins and I was like, okay, guess I'm going to Hopkins. I initially was like, no, I'm going to go to Loyola. Uh, but yeah, decided, okay, I'm going to do my master's here and and stay at Hopkins, really good school, really like the program. I could get through the program quite quickly. Um, and then the whole second year of that program is just your internship. And so I was like, well, I know after I graduate, I want to move back to Seattle and I guess I should do my internship there so I can get connected in the community before I graduate. So that was kind of my thought in going back to Seattle, but I've always been drawn to it. Like it was a safe place for me when I was young and felt like home and has been my favorite place that I've lived. So I'm super happy that I live there now. At what point did you start making that a career? Was it difficult to find a job at first? What did that look like out of school? Yeah. So when I graduated from my bachelor's degree, I worked, um, I did full time for about probably almost five months. Maybe I'm blanking on that timeline, but, um, I worked full time doing in-home visits with clients who had schizophrenia and bipolar diagnoses. And, um, it was more kind of just like case management type work. I meet with them for about 15 minutes, about six clients a day or a week. I don't remember. It feels like it was so long ago. Uh, but that job was actually somewhat easy to find, but at the same time, I was also working at the hustler club as a promo girl. Yes. Um, so a bit, um, a bit of contrast there, but then graduating with my master's, I knew I wanted to go into private practice. So I did some group work that I loved doing, but I didn't want to be in community mental health. And that's what a lot of people go to after school is in community mental health, which typically is not paid very well. And there's kind of this dynamic of like, you have to pay your dues in the field. And like, I fuck that. I don't like that. Um, and so you can have your own private practice in Seattle as a 
graduate and work was work under supervision of someone. So I graduated in May 2016 and started my practice in July. Um, but the actually maybe it was June shortly after that. Um, but the opportunity to go on the bachelor also came up at like the same time. (laughs) And so it was a real, uh, moment of reflection of, you know, am I going to just continue to go like nose deep, whatever, just straightforward in my career? Cause I did bachelor's in three years and then straight into my master's for two years. So I was 22 and was like, Oh, you know, do I just keep going down this path? Like I'll be licensed by the time I'm, I'll be fully licensed by the time I'm 25. Um, and that just kind of like seemed on track for me. But then I was like, Oh, what if I do something a little different and like give myself a cool experience in life and went and did that. And then, um, you know, so therapy was put on pause for about three years and now I've been back doing it since May. So Okay, great. Yeah, because I was going to ask with a career like therapy, it's very heavy. And I'm wondering if during your years in school, you were second guessing it. And maybe when the bachelor opportunity came about, it was Mm. a good or needed break or distraction. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it doesn't feel as heavy of, of work. Like it's definitely, there's a lot of substance there. Right. But it, those conversations and holding that space like fuels me a lot. And it, it feels very rewarding and very fulfilling to be able to help people in that way. And to just share that vulnerable space with them. Like that's a freaking privilege. Um, that's why when you know you're doing exactly what you should be doing. Exactly. Because for other people, they see it as heavy and Mm -hmm. you're still enjoying it. Yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. And you're maintaining it with all of these other things you're still doing, which we'll get to, but I do want to go back to the bachelor because obviously mm-hmm. this is a big thing that's happened in your life. Yeah. So how did that come into, how did that opportunity come to you? Were you looking for it? doesn't sound like, mm-hmm. like you maybe were, I don't know. Yeah. So the opportunity for the show came up. Um, my mom and I had watched it, you know, like while I was growing up and it was a show she loved to watch and, my stepdad, Jason, came home one night from a Mariners game and was very drunk. And JoJo season was premiering. And he j- they did the commercial, you know, like, ABC casting. <laughs> and <laughs> Jason just got so riled up and was just like, oh, my God, Taylor, you've got to go on this show. You've got to come on. Like, you got to apply. Um, and this was, yeah, probably June. And I had been single since December. And, uh, he was just like, yeah, like you guys, it'll be so great to see you on there. Like you'd be psychoanalyzing everything. (laughs) And I was like, okay, Jason. And he just like would not leave me alone about it like the whole night. And so finally at the end of the night, um, I went online and there was, you know, a very basic application. That's just like your demographic information and a photo. So I was like, okay, I'll just do that. Like took like five minutes and sent it in and was like thinking nothing's going to come of this. Like I'm never going to hear from them. They get so many applications. And literally the next morning I had a phone call from someone in casting and I was like, holy shit. Maybe (laughs) I was like, Jason. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of how it came up. And, um, it was pretty clear, like very early on that they were very interested in me and it terrified the shit out of me. Um, because it didn't, again, I guess kind of, if, if we go back a little bit to even South Carolina middle school, right? Like 
I wasn't necessarily used to or believed that I was someone that like those cool, good things happened to. Like I didn't ever see anyone that looked like me in those positions. And it just didn't feel like I like those opportunities weren't for me. Um, so it was very strange for me to be like, holy shit, they're actually interested in me and they, they see this and in a way it was very validating, but you know, was also still just very scary. And it felt like it was in alignment with a lot of the things that I was working on personally, like with clients, I would do a lot of work around vulnerability and shame. And I was doing a ton of work in my own personal dating of trying to like be more vulnerable and actually let down my walls and put myself out there. And I was like, what better way to challenge myself and being vulnerable than to go date a total stranger on national television? Yeah. <laughs> Huge vulnerability hangover. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> How do you think that you're, so do you feel like being on The Bachelor kind of helped you to step into your self-worth? Um, because <sighs> I can imagine that it's both a very positive and negative experience. Mm -hmm. So if you can touch on, um, what it did for, for you mentally, for mm -hmm. your self-worth, your confidence and yeah. also your health. Well, it's quite a bumpy ride. <laughs> uh, it was not, not very good. Um, I wish that when people ask me what my bachelor experience was like, I could just say it was so much, it was so much fun. Like you're right. It was so cool. But um, you're a real person. So you're going to tell <laughs> us the truth. Yes. It, um, it took me a long time to come to, to terms with this and a lot of my own personal therapy as well, but it, it was legit a very traumatic experience. Um, the first time around, I definitely experienced like a very deep, real state of depression. Um, most mornings I would wake up crying, like before I even looked at my phone, I would just wake up crying. Um, and yeah, it's, you gain a whole new identity overnight and you, you really could never be prepared for it. Like from producers, from friends, from family, from even I had met with one person who had already been on the show beforehand and every person was like, oh, like if anyone's prepared for this, you are like, you're going to be so prepared for this. You're going to be able to handle this so well. And you're never fucking prepared. Like you don't, it's so, so much of it is out of your control. And for me, I was like going into, it, I was like, this will be a great opportunity to like challenge myself with letting go of having control. Because <laughs> um, I think this is like fun work to do, <laughs> uh, but it, it it's not only a whole new identity, but it's it changes your life in ways that you're kind of naive to. Because having been someone that's just going through my normal life, never never had been to LA, never had been on any kind of show, like nothing, like literally just school, and I'm a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> so reality TV world just. It, blew my mind and it definitely challenged my self-worth and made me feel like I was nothing and made me feel like I was very, 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 very small. It's like a bomb dropped on yeah. your life. Yeah. A hundred percent. It, and again, you know, so much context is left out of things and people judge so quickly and so like wholeheartedly, they really judge you. And, um, based on, you know, 30 second clips of things and, again, with context missing and it caused me to really question myself. And even, you know, with my producer, I'd be like, was it like that? Like, this is so different from what I personally experienced. And from even, you know, I would lean on the other girls from my season two and just 
did honestly need a lot of validation because so much of the cyberbullying and the attacking and just um, feeling like my whole reality was being questioned of like, how am I really then? Like, it really caused me to like take a step back and, and look at all of that. And I was so small when I look back at like, like we started off this episode, like, let's think about like little Taylor. And now it's like, mm-hmm. I've, I have had to do so much work to have self-compassion and look back at like 23 year old Taylor who went on the bachelor. Wow. So going back to your comments about falling into a really deep depression, mm-hmm. how did you, first of all, I would assume that that was a result of the cyberbullying yeah. and the perception of yourself mm-hmm. on that they, how they made you look on TV. Yeah. Um, but how, were there any other elements that contributed to that depression and how did you pull yourself out of that? Yeah. Um, I don't think there were any other elements that contributed to that. I think it's it's very common for people when they get off the show to experience some state of depression, uh, frankly, because you're coming off of such a huge high. You're coming off of days that are like, incredibly long a day feels like three months and you're constantly around people you're completely disconnected from your community and then you're just thrown back home like nothing like you never left and that really throws people for a loop so most people do go through a really low period after they leave the show um and yeah for me most that depression was exclusively (laughs) from uh you know, part of it is just the anticipation and the anxiety, right? So depending on when you go home, you have a certain amount of time before it starts airing. So for me, it was about, I guess it was maybe two months before. Yeah, it was about two and a half months before the show aired that you're just like sitting around waiting, right? And like that is agonizing. And then when the actual show started airing, the first week I was fine. And then the second week I was like, oh fuck and again it's it's torture every week of like (laughs) what's going to be shown what's not going to be shown how are people going to react like how's my day-to-day going to change like just not knowing any of that so I think that's really the only thing that contributed to the depression and then getting myself out of it um took a very very long time um I felt like I was somewhat in a better place, but then had to film the reunion. And then the reunion was a whole other layer of trauma. Um, And then right before I went on Paradise, which was June of that year. So the show airs in January. Um, And yeah, maybe right before June, I was starting to feel okay. And... Honestly, there were probably like probably a month solid that I was in therapy like twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and occasionally probably one or two weeks I was there three times. Um, I really just secluded myself and I just isolated. I honestly didn't cope with it in the best way. Like I, I wish I wish I could have been stronger and I could have stood up for myself more and I could have used my voice. Um, but I didn't. I was so small and I literally felt like debilitated by the depression and by anxiety and just so much fear. Like it all felt so much bigger than me that like, what could I do? I couldn't do anything. Like it was such a helpless feeling. Mm -hmm. So yeah. 
I'm just curious what prompted you to then want to go on to paradise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. After that experience. Yeah. Paradise for me felt like it can't get any worse than this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, what else really is going to happen? And it felt like now I kind of know a little bit of what I'm getting myself into. And at least this time I get paid. I was like, I I get get a per DM. Like, it's not a lot. I did negotiate mine Mm -hmm. because I was like, no, like I'm, I don't trust you guys. And like, I'm putting myself out on the line here. Um, and it also just felt like, why not? Like I was still somewhat in it. And I felt like if I didn't do it now, I'm sure shit not putting myself through this next year. <laughs> like if I, you know, get back to being in a better place and I'm going about my life, like I'm not going to blow my life up again with this. So it felt like I'm close enough in it now <laughs> to do it. And I think I also wanted to, I think I wanted to attempt to stand up for myself and like be me and like be okay with how that comes across and like, have an opportunity again to take care of myself in a, in a better way post-show, regardless of what happens, regardless of, of what is aired. Um, and I was absolutely terrified. Like the day beforehand, I was like talking to the producer and I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't think, I don't think I should be here. It's like, I really, really don't think I should be here. And not only do like, yes, they have some valid points, but also like they know what they're doing. And so Yeah, I went on again. (laughs) What was the impact on your life of that show? That paradise was, uh, the response was a lot more positive around, uh, because there was love involved and people love love. Um, (laughs) which also just taught me like that fans can be a little fickle and to not, to not take in the good and also not take in the bad because it could flip flop at any moment. And even with the good, they're still missing a lot of context and it still is not like fully me, I guess. So the second time, like on my own personal experience, it still was traumatic in different layers. Like parts of that relationship, um, were really, really difficult and life changing. And again, there were a lot of feelings around helplessness in that as well that were difficult and, that I look back at again and think, you know, I wish I would have just stood up for myself. I wish I would have used my voice. I wish I wouldn't have been small. That environment just it did. It just made me feel so small. Um, and you know, there was still some backlash. Like there was a incident, um, where the person I was dating used some like explicit language and told me to like fuck off or, said like fuck you or something and to me I was like that's a boundary in relationships like I don't care who you are I don't care what the situation is like that's not language that I'm willing to accept in my relationships I've been in very abusive relationships both emotionally and physically and so that was something I had already communicated to that partner they didn't have that context to air and um I actually got a lot of feedback on that, that I was being crazy and that, you know, he should run because I take, you know, I'm taking things too seriously and that it's a joke, even though it was not said in a joking context, it was said in like the middle of a serious conversation. Um, and yeah, that just that I'm, I'm so crazy because I'm, you know, making such a big deal out of something like that. And to me, that again was just an opportunity of like, holy shit, like people think that this is okay. Like, no, you're just accustomed and normalizing like verbal abuse, which is not okay. So I partially feel like I stood up for myself there, but 
there was still some some hate and some feedback in that experience but overall for the most part it was very positive and people loved loved love and they really wanted to see me happy and they saw parts of that yeah absolutely I I mean I look at you today and it just seems like, and this is always hard to hear, but obviously these experiences mm-hmm. have made you so much stronger. And when yeah. I, when I see the things you talk about on Instagram, it's like mm-hmm. you do, it feels like you have really thick skin because of how much you've come through. Yeah. So how has that changed your personality and where you're at today and your practice as well? Having to go yeah. to, to therapists, you mm-hmm. know, when you are a therapist. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because before the show, I was like this, like before the show, I would talk about things and like be very strong and very, um, very convicted in everything I said and did. And the show just really like flipped me upside down. Um, so in a weird way, it feels like I'm coming back to that part, but I'm also sharing that part in a very different way now. So I've, I've, I have grown thick, thicker skin from the show, which I do appreciate. And I, I, one of the things that not only the show's therapist, but also my therapist had pointed out throughout that year was resilience. Mm. And I really had to focus on like having gratitude for my resilience and acknowledging it and like owning it and being like, yeah, you are hella resilient. Like you got this, like, don't forget that. So I'm glad that 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 comes through, I guess on, on Instagram. And I, I'm always like, I'm trying, I'm doing my best. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I, I currently am not seeing uh, my previous therapist anymore. I've just taken a break. Um, I was seeing her since December before the show when I had that breakup um, all the way through till this September. So I was in therapy straight for a few years. Um, and now I'm kind of taking a, a break from that. We do want to go into therapy mm-hmm. and you talk a lot about like what kind of people can benefit from therapy yeah. and the stigma stigmas around it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important, but just touching on one more thing from your bachelor experience, what was it like, you know, going in as a therapist? Because I know yep. that there is a little bit of backlash about that and like yes. what a therapist should look and sound like. And something mm-hmm. that I heard you say was a comment that Jimmy Kimmel made. Yep. And I would love for you to share that because yes. that really pissed me off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So before even anything on the show airs, you know, people get to see your photo, your name, your, your, your occupation, your age, basic stuff about you. And before anyone had even like seen me or really interacted with me or really knew anything about me, just the fact that I was a therapist going on The Bachelor immediately was like judgment and shame just projected out there. So the comment Jimmy Kimmel made was like, oh, mental health counselor going on The Bachelor. I think she might need a mental health counselor. (laughs) And it's like so many, I got got so many comments like that of like, I think you need to go to therapy. (sighs) And it's like, I am so... Now what's your comment? And actually it sounds like you need to go to therapy. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But it's so disappointing to me how that is something that like we throw around to shame people in their perhaps shortcomings or whatever it is, things we disagree with about them that like they need to go to therapy. Right, exactly. Like Like it's a bad thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to me that that was just very annoying to deal with. Um, And then even you know, before going on the show, like I'm very aware of some of these things that about me that are 
A, surprising when people find out and that B, people kind of underestimate me on and that also then I become intimidating around. So one of those is the fact that I'm a therapist. The other is the fact that I don't drink. And then the other is when I tell people that I'm half black, half white, because most people don't think that I am that. And then when they find out, they're like, whoa. Um, so... I knew before going on the show that like the dynamics with the girls would be different when they know I don't drink and when they also find out I'm a therapist. And again, people's reactions to that is always more a reflection of where they are at in their life than it is about me. And I think for the most part, I'm really good at managing that. But when it comes to like thousands of people and like press and these people of like authority and power and all this stuff saying these things, then then it does get really difficult to not Mm -hmm. absorb that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't imagine. And it's really unfortunate, too, that mm-hmm. people still have this idea around therapy that it should yeah. look a certain way, that a therapist should be. I mean, what do people want a therapist to look like? Like, do they yeah. want it to be like an old man in a suit? I with, mean, like, do you want Freud? Because, like, right. sorry, he's not around anymore. <laughs> <Who are you laughs> <looking> for? <laughs> yeah. Do you want someone you can actually relate to? I mean, I feel like yeah. that's the thing, too. So, and I will admit, I will totally admit that there's, I've never seen a therapist Mm -hmm. and I've in my mind in the past thought, well, maybe I don't have big enough problems to Mm. see a therapist. Like maybe, you know, I haven't, I've, I was raised in a great family. My parents are still together. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't bullied and you know, I didn't have to experience racism. You know, I didn't go Mm -hmm. through some of those huge life experiences. So I Mm -hmm. think, am I really worthy of seeing a therapist? Um, but now it's like, I, I think talk therapy is some of the Mm -hmm. most powerful, um, tools that you can utilize. And so, um, how do you break that stigma or how do you work to do that, um, with therapy? And then when it comes to what a therapist should quote unquote look like? Yes. Well, first I want to just say that the thought that you have around that is very common and that unfortunately, as you say, all those things, what you're doing is like, you're, you're minimizing yourself. Like you're invalidating your own experiences because, it's basically just comparing out to other people's pain, right? Mm -hmm. And saying, well, their pain is more intense than my pain. So like, I should just be able to deal with this, but you still have pain. Mm -hmm. Like you are still a human. Oh, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, I'm always like anyone can, can go to therapy. It's even when times are good, it's like, think about it for your car. Like you don't, you know, wait to fill up your, I'm, I'm not a car person, so I always I always mess this up. But, like, you don't take your car into the shop when it's, like, broken down on the side of the road. Right. Right? Like, you fill it with gas every week. Like, you get your oil changed. Like, you do these things to, like, maintain your car even when it's not broken down on the side of the highway. So, like, you don't only need to go and get help when you're, like, completely feeling broken. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of going about, like, breaking the stigma around what a therapist looks like... Um, I think too, sorry, actually just, I had another thought on this. Um, also just the piece that I was very young was also what threw people off and made them, I think Jimmy also maybe had made some kind of a comment around like 23 and a mental health counselor. And so many people actually debated whether or not I was actually a mental health counselor. Mm, And that was like your, your thing that you said to get on the bachelor. Yeah. Yeah. And that they were like, she's not a mental health counselor. She's 23. Like she can't be that. And also that like what, how shitty of a counselor she must be at 23 because she's so young and doesn't have life experience, which is a whole other thing that irritates me. Um, but I think for me pushing through that is just honestly, like (laughs) you can't try to shove yourself in a box of 
being a therapist. And I think so many people in the helping profession, even like teachers, right? That like a teacher has to be a certain way. A nurse has to be a certain way. Um, and unfortunately it's mainly women that experience a lot of this like shame around just being human <laughs> with being in the helping profession. Um, that yeah, I would get comments about, you know, the fact that I went on the bachelor is unprofessional, right? And it's like, well, that's my personal life. Like, I'm allowed to have a personal life, right? Mm -hmm. Going to the beach and having a photo in a bathing suit, even if it's not perhaps sexually provocative, is inappropriate. And even if it is sexually provocative, well, why can it not be? Do I not also have sexuality? Mm -hmm. Can I not be a professional, but also be a woman who, like, explores her sexuality and does all the things that I would want to encourage my clients to do and to live their lives and to explore all the different parts of themselves, even if they contradict each other. Yeah. I I just feel like it's so silly. And I think for a hot minute, probably mm, I'd say in an undergrad, I did try to fit into this box of what a professional counselor looks like. And, you know, in doing that, I ended up shaming myself, right? And like, that's not helpful. And that's not going to help me to be a better therapist for other people. It's not going to help me to better show up in the room because the areas we shame ourselves in are often the areas we shame other people in. Mm -hmm. So I also noticed this just amongst professionals that there were some therapists that were like, really disappointed in me for going on the show people I did not know Mm. um but other therapists judging and you know saying like I give a bad name to therapists for doing this and so I was so terrified to go back into therapy after the show but thankfully found an amazing like community of therapists in Seattle who really just are fighting the same fight as me in different ways, but of just like allowing themselves to be human. Like just because you're a dentist doesn't mean that you never get freaking cavities. If you're a doctor, that doesn't mean you never get sick, right? Like we're all human. And yes, we have the capabilities and the education and experience to be able to help people help themselves, right? Because we're not there to fix people's problems. And I think that's what a lot of people think. They think, oh, you can't be a young counselor because how are you going to fix other people's lives when like you haven't even lived your life? And it's like, well, I'm not there to like fix your life. It's not my job. (laughs) I'm here to help you help yourself. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask this earlier because I read that too on your website, that sort of your mission is Mm -hmm. helping other people help themselves. At what point in your life did you kind of, did that aha moment go off that you wanted to dedicate yourself to this? Yeah that I wanted to dedicate myself to, to therapy helping, or just, yeah, and helping other people. Yeah. So and you're now doing it through your podcast too, mm-hmm. which we, we want to talk to next, but yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I have two kind of thoughts on that. First, I think the, like, I'm here to help you help yourself thing came in undergrad as we were discussing in in a class just about like professional boundaries and maintaining self-care as a professional counselor. And a lot of people do think, you know, they like, oh, wow, as a therapist, like you listen to people's problems all day. Like, how do you not bring that home with you? All this stuff. And it's like, well, because of boundaries, because I have a very firm line when I step into the office that I'm here, I'm here to be here with these people. And when I leave here, I'm just me. Like, that's it. I'm, I'm a hundred percent me when I walk out of this door and I'm not taking their stuff with me that their problems are not my responsibility. Like whether or not someone, whether or not a client 
improves or digresses in their treatment is not my responsibility. That is on them. Like your, your dentist is not going to sit there and feel guilty and shame himself or herself if you come in with a cavity, like, because that's your responsibility to floss and brush your teeth twice a day, Mm -hmm. not theirs to like check up on you and do all of this. So for me, it's a very firm line of I'm here just to help you help yourself. Mm -hmm. And like, again, that is your responsibility. And I want my clients to feel empowered and have agency in their treatment. So there's, that's my thought on that. But, um, how I knew that this was an area I wanted to be in was, like I said earlier, a little bit in, in high school, but also just because there was a lot of family stuff happening at that time. My, um, my uncle Greg passed away. Uh, he got really intense lung cancer. He smoked a lot of cigarettes and also drank and, uh, that really tore my whole family apart. Like his death really fucked up our family. Um, and you know, oftentimes like a death in the family brings everyone together. And this just really was not good for our family. Um, and then in that same year, maybe it was the following year, um, my uncle Warren passed away of cirrhosis of the liver and we have a history. My great, great grandfather had cirrhosis. Um, and so, there was just so much around alcohol and also cigarettes, um, that I witnessed around my family that I was like, this is so preventable. Like I remember I didn't even go to uncle Warren's funeral because I was just like, he knew Mm. (laughs) I was like 15 years old. And I was like, I was like, his doctor literally told him if he continues to drink, like he's going to die. And what did he do? He continued to drink like, no. So, I was so frustrated with the fact that some of these things were so preventable and like, why are we getting ourselves in these situations? And I always found myself, you know, in middle school, even super drawn to and attracted to people who just had so many layers of, of pain and like trying to numb themselves with different substances. I don't personally drink, but like all my friends around me drank then and would experiment with all kinds of other drugs and, it just was so fascinating to me that I was just like, I want to hear about your life. Like, I want to hear like, why do you feel like this is something you have to do? And all of that just kind of stuck with me, I think, and made me feel like I want to share that space with people and I want to help peel back some of those layers and like create a safe space where you are able to feel empowered and like, not feel shamed in your pain, right? That like, it's okay for you to feel that. Like, I really just wanted people to honestly feel their feelings and like that's kind of my I don't know is it cheesy to say like my slogan but I feel like it's my I (laughs) I feel like it's my slogan it's in my Instagram bio so yeah (laughs) like feel all the feelings Yeah. yeah and I just it was like people were just fighting so hard to like not feel things even my family when Uncle Greg passed away like there was just so much there that I just it made me so uncomfortable. Right. And so like, I think part of my wanting to help and wanting to share that space comes out of my own anxiety and like, uh, just anxiousness of like, just, it's right there. It's right there. Like I see it, like, let's just peel it back and just let it be here. Like it's already there. We're just trying to cover it up. Like, just let it be there. 
Wow. Well, it's incredible that you've taken this hardship and in every situation just move forward. You know, you went to school and you became a therapist mm-hmm. and then you've been through a lot with The Bachelor and yeah. now you've got a podcast where you're mm-hmm. talking about these really important topics yeah. that a lot of people are not talking about. Yeah. And that's something we are excited to get into with mm-hmm. you. So first, it's sort of what has it been like starting a podcast just yeah. like to briefly kind of summarize mm-hmm. that and then mm-hmm. we want to ask some questions about some of these topics that you cover yes well I will say I honestly had no clue what I was getting myself into did <laughs> um, we. yeah it's I mean this was after the show and this was after paradise and my following on Instagram had grown and I would attempt to like have conversations on Instagram stories, but those are 15 seconds long mm. and you can't have a thousand of them on there. Like it doesn't, <laughs> that's my problem. <laughs> They're so long. I'm like, oh God, yes. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, like no one's even going to watch all this through. And so I was like, I'm a big talker. Like, obviously I've talked a lot here already. Um, and I'm like, I can't be a blogger. Like I can't write this stuff out. And so I was just like, well, why don't I just like do a podcast and then I can actually let people see an unedited version of myself we can really cut to the heart of some of these things and I felt like I just had a responsibility honestly with my background and not at the time practicing and having this platform I was just like yeah I have a responsibility to like try to destigmatize some of these things and I launched the podcast in December 2017 and now it's been two years and congrats yeah thank you I just did 100 episodes um, mid-November and I'm taking a little bit of a break just to somewhat you know breathe but I also find I'm like I'm still working and all of this anyway Uh, but just in a way rebranding the podcast just a little bit because the podcast has focused a lot on mental health but I've come to realize that even more stigmatized than mental health is sexual health. And so I'll be discussing that a lot more in some of my future episodes. Can you speak a little bit more to those topics Mm -hmm. of, well, I guess since you just said sexual health, what Mm -hmm. is it that's drawing you specifically to that area? And, and what, you know, what are you really excited to kind of open up about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've always been very open to talk about things sexually. Like my mom and I, you know, when I was 15 or 14, 16 and pregnant came out on MTV, which honestly is like milestone in culture, I think, and really has actually helped to decrease the number of teen pregnancies. Um, and my mom and I were just always having these conversations around sex and, you know, <laughs> as much as she probably felt incredibly uncomfortable and did not want to hear some of the things that I was asking her or telling her, um, she had the conversations with me anyway. And yeah, to me, that was just super, super helpful. And I think what, what really hit me was like when I did slightly open up about things sexually or just even mention sex, like the way people would respond again, I kind of like that controversy a little bit. And so I'm like, Oh, am I making you uncomfortable? I'm like, okay, (laughs) let's, let's see why that is. Yeah. And it also comes to a little bit of my pettiness as well, because (laughs) I think I like to challenge people's thoughts on things. And when someone especially tries to shove me in the box of being a therapist, right. And not being able to explore my sexuality or express that it's like, actually, no, I'm, I'm going to, and I'm going to 
into even more now because I see that it's an issue for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I like to think that (laughs) what is pushing me a little bit more towards breaking stigmas around sexual health is my pettiness and wanting to <laughs> and wanting to just like break out of boxes. Well, it's important too. And for some reason with women, the conversation mm-hmm. of masturbation is yeah. super uncomfortable and taboo. And yep. I have a like deep shame around that mm-hmm. and I don't know where it comes from, Yeah, but it's there. And it's like a thing that I really want to work on. So mm-hmm. in what ways would you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, it's I'm I'm glad that you said that so honestly and and we're vulnerable in that because it is it's a really vulnerable thing to like practice and to do with yourself, right? Yeah. And then to also just talk about is like a different level. And I will say I didn't really actually start intentionally masturbating until last year, year and a half ago maybe. And it did, it felt super uncomfortable. And even though I had these really positive conversations around sex growing up and felt like I had a, you know, pretty healthy relationship with sex, I also, I also just felt like I really wanted to increase my relationship with my own body. And, you know, I think after the show, like after, um, Derek and I broke up, I was living on my own for the first time, like alone. Um, I lived with roommates before, but was living totally on my own and felt like I was just like, wow, I'm like being my own woman. And then I was like 25 and I'm like, holy shit. I'm like kind of an adult (laughs) and was like, yeah, you know, like I want to be an adult woman that can like pay her own bills feed her cat and, you know, take care of herself and like who also can pleasure herself. Right. And not feel like I'm withholding pleasure because I'm not with a partner. Right. And, and then I'm also not seeking out a partner just because I want pleasure and I'm avoiding giving it to myself. Mm. And point. I found that like at times I was only really interested in trying to pursue something with a guy just because I was actually like had this anxiety of like being horny and not being able to like have a little bit of a release. Um, but it, it is, I think there's so many stigmas and so much shame around like women are so sexualized, right? But then when Mm -hmm. we actually are owning and expressing our sexuality, it's like, how dare you? Don't you dare like, (laughs) yeah it's really frustrating yeah (laughs) so how do you think when it comes to I actually heard you say um I think it was on your podcast you said um you talked about self-partnership which you hear a lot about self-care and self-love and I'm in the wellness world so Mm -hmm. those terms get thrown around a lot and it's really important to me and we talk about it all the time Mm -hmm. but I truly haven't heard it phrased as self-partnership yes and I love that because Mm -hmm. it's about the relationship with yourself but not Mm -hmm. just self-care it's you know maybe taking yourself out on a date maybe buying Mm -hmm. yourself flowers but then also sexual health Mm -hmm. and like self-care when it comes to like 
pleasuring yourself. That's yeah. a relationship. And so, um, how would you sort of like recommend or give some tools and mm-hmm. tips for people who are kind of nervous in this area yeah. to explore it a little bit more and create mm-hmm. a really nice sort of ritual maybe around it? Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the self partner term, um, Emma Watson, uh, had said, and I was like, holy crap. I was like, that makes so much sense. And even like solo sex, you know, um, people talk about having solo sex too, but for me, like I'll speak a little bit personally on that piece. It, I did have to create a little ritual around it. And I thought about the times, like when am I the most horny, right? Like when I'm in a relationship, when do I like to have sex the most? Like what time of day? And it was like nighttime. Like I'm a, I'm a night owl. And so when I start to get like deliriously tired, that's when I get like the most horny. <laughs> and, <It's time. laughs> and, um, but there would also be times where in the morning I would wake up and you guys, please tell me, you know, what I'm talking about like when you squeeze, you squeeze your thighs together yes. and it like feels amazing. And that's not something that like you see in porn. That's not something that like you do in like dirty talk with your partner of like, Oh, I'm going to squeeze my legs together <laughs> so hard. Is that Kegels? <laughs> kind of, okay. kind of, but it's like, even I'm sitting halfway crisscross right now. And yeah, if I were to just like really tighten my legs together. Yes. Yeah. So, like, I would wake up in the morning and I, like, would just unconsciously, like, unaware of the fact that, like, I was doing that. And I'd be like, wow, I'm really horny in the morning. And instead of just, like, shoving that aside, I would be like, let me sit with this a second. And you really honestly, I, like, almost envisioned it as, like, an actual door that I was, like... I hear this stuff happening behind this door. I see the the potential of things behind this door. Am I just going to stand here and like listen on the outside or am I just going to open it? And so to me, like the physical opening of the door was literally just like allowing my hand to like go and touch my vulva or my clit that I was just like, yeah, I'm going to actually touch myself in a way that is somewhat sexual. And like, it felt very uncomfortable at first. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think I should do this. Like, you know, am I supposed to just like right away orgasm? Like, I don't know how to do this. And you really have to be so gentle with yourself. Like not every time you touch yourself, you're going to orgasm or have like this like crazy calm experience. And for me, I started experimenting like with toys a little bit and that super helped and was like a whole new world. (laughs) That was a whole new world. Um, (laughs) and I think part of me did have a little bit of FOMO, right. Of like hearing other women talk about, you know, just like speaking so empoweredly with like their toys and me being like, I've never really had a, a toy before. And like, I remember in high school, I found my mom's rabbit in her drawer and my stepdad was in the air force. So he like would be gone and be deployed. And I, I remember being like, Oh, good for her. Good for her. <laughs> She's like able to please herself when Jason's yeah. not here. And yeah, I think part of me was just like, yeah, I need to like, I want to do that service for myself. And Dr. Chris Donahue is amazing. Love him as a person. He's amazing. And had him on the podcast. And in my training to be certified as a sex therapist, um, he speaks about uh, masturbation as a way to self-soothe. And being in the health world and the fitness world, right? Like we do all these physical things to help take care of ourselves, Right. Like to have we'll a release. Go, yeah. We'll go for a run. We'll like meditate, whatever else. But like 
when we bring up sex or like touching ourselves, that's when it's like, that's not, that's not okay to do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why is that not? It's literally just the way that he phrased it to me was like, it's literally just a, a different, um, you know, uh, I want to say like, t- it's a different form of technology to use to pl- to have that release. Like it's literally just mechanics. Um, we're running or we're like fiddling Mm -hmm. with ourselves, you know, (laughs) like what's the difference? Like we can use that to self soothe as well. And it honestly has been great to relieve anxiety for me. Um, and it's, you know, it's free, Unless you're using a toy, I guess. <laughs> but so much, I feel like, of a our... one-time investment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but our most of our self-care as women is very much marketed to us and in, heavily based in consumerism. And I think some of the best things you can do for self-care are free. Mm-hmm. And so many sex toys are like a male-dominated industry. Mm-hmm. Those who have created yeah. them, it's crazy. So a yeah. lot of... Uh, the toys that are out there are kind of made for man. So mm-hmm. you really have to do some digging too, to find something yeah. that works for you as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah. moving towards while we're on the topic of kind of sexual health, when you, when you think about open relationships and monogamy and yes. some people have, you know, sexual urges all the time and mm-hmm. they're not interested in one person for the rest of their life. Yeah. What are your views on mm-hmm monogamy and open relationships and even polygamy. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very like whatever relationship style works for you is fine. As long as you're not like harming anyone and like consent is involved, then whatever dynamic works for you. Great. Like monogamy is our default in our society, which works for some people, but for the most part doesn't really work. Um, and unfortunately does have a lot of pretty toxic components to it that create really unhealthy dynamics that contribute to it not working all the time for everyone. Um, I think, you know, polygamy is a whole other one. I haven't, haven't really (laughs) done a lot of thinking on that one. Um, but you know, poly relationships, open relationships, these other forms of being in relationship, I think are becoming more and more common. And unfortunately, still do have a lot of stigma around them, which is why I think it is important to talk about them. When I first started considering the idea um, of being in a poly type relationship myself, I realized that there really wasn't anywhere that I saw this kind of dynamic and felt like there was a lot of negativity around anytime I brought it up, which contributed to a lot of shame around it. And one of the things I did, I watched on Showtime, it's called polyamory dating and love or something like that. Um, the second season, not super fond of, but the first season I thought was really, really great. It's basically like a docu-series on like several different, um, couples and, and relationships that were poly and, just oh, I've seen this. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like just learning more, like just seeing a different way that people are in relationships was so like mind opening, eye opening to me, heart opening, all the things, legs, <laughs> no, <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> um, all the things were opening, <laughs> um, good one. but it, you know, even when I was, when I first had sex, even in my first relationship, I still always had this thought that whoever I marry is not going to be the one and only person I have sex with for the rest of my life. That I was just like, that seems so 
seems so like withholding and like, where's the freedom in there? Where's the freedom of choice? Like we're going to be attracted to more than one person throughout our life. And certainly we don't need to act on every person we're attracted to or every like feeling of attraction and and chemistry that we have. But also why can't we? That's a beautiful thing to experience. Like when you like someone and they actually like you back, like how often does that happen? Not a ton. (laughs) So to me personally, I mean, I've definitely been in open relationships and have explored, you know, being in consensually non-monogamous relationships and it, it has worked for me. It has felt a little better, I think. And, And again, I, I'm, I realize that there's layers to this for myself personally, where I was in a relationship where I felt super, super trapped and I felt like I didn't have a choice. And I felt like all I wanted to do was like have the freedom to choose. And like, you didn't let me choose you. And that was all I wanted to do. Like I wanted to have that power and that choice to choose you. And that's such a powerful thing to me. And in open, in poly type relationships, that's one of the things that sticks out to me a lot is you're really choosing that person every day. And I, I am more aware and feel you choosing me when I know you could be choosing other people. And I think it's also a very different, it's a different kind of love in that it is very selfless, right? Like some of the toxic pieces of monogamy are around things like jealousy and like someone showing that they're very jealous or like that they beat up the guy at the bar because he looked at you Mm -hmm. like that that's like oh my god he loves me so much and it's like "Mm -mm, nope 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 nope. um and even like you know wanting to be someone's everything right like I'm gonna be your lover your friend your uh, financial assistant your real estate agent your business partner like I'm gonna love all things you love I'm gonna be everything that's that's so much pressure and it's so unrealistic um and yeah in in open poly type relationships there's kind of this like acknowledgement that like yeah I'm not everything but that doesn't mean I'm not enough mm-hmm. like I'm that's not powerful. going to be everything but I'm not that doesn't I'm still enough um to me that is amazing. (laughs) Um, and I think there's, there's, I think something I really want to be clear about in terms of like relationship dynamic is that just because you pick and you decide that you're in a monogamous relationship doesn't mean that that's wrong. A and B, it doesn't mean that that's what you always have to be in. Mm -hmm. Like same with our sexuality. Like just because if we say we're heterosexual doesn't mean that we also can't like be fluid in that. So, you know, some people might start off in a poly type relationship and then realize, is this working for you? Because I don't think that this is working for me. And like, how can we make this different? And having those conversations and checking in with each other, you know, like we've been monogamous, like how have you been enjoying this? You know, like, are you curious about other things? Like, how do you want to change up our relationship dynamic? Having those conversations is so important and something I just love doing anyway. So like that naturally comes up in people that are interested in any kind of poly type relationship. So it's, 
it's a topic I love, obviously. It's so cool. I feel like the common theme here with you is just really breaking down stigmas because so much of this is stigmatic. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, I shouldn't ever explore that because it's bad or it's wrong and and it's not for me. Yeah. And I think that's so empowering and Mm -hmm. it's inspiring to me because I don't think like Ryan and I didn't have a lot of conversations around Mm -hmm. sexuality um, when we were young. And Mm so I think we've been a little bit more shy in that area. So it's really, really cool. Like I even still have issues like chain, like getting naked and mm-hmm. in a locker room, you yeah. know, and I noticed that about myself and I think yeah. it's really cool that you are dispelling these myths and mm-hmm. talking so openly about it and being willing to put yeah. yourself out there on a public platform and maybe be judged for it. Yes. And well, actually a hundred percent be judged. Be judged yes. um, and I know we, I am conscious of time, but one thing mm-hmm. I did one last thing on the topic of relationships that I felt was really powerful that you said, um, was the difference between boundaries and, um, ultimatums. Yes. And if you can just touch on that briefly, Mm -hmm. I just feel like that's a great takeaway for people. Yes, definitely. Um, I have so many thoughts on just everything you said, but I will answer this question. Um, yeah. So boundaries are actually where you have to take responsibility. And oftentimes we think boundaries are like that something that this other person needs to do. Um, ultimatums are very much like all or nothing, right? And when you assert a boundary, it's basically saying, um, you know, I, for example, with the verbal abuse situation that I used earlier from Paradise, um, I have a a boundary in my relationships that I will not tolerate verbal abuse like that. And if you do decide to engage in that, I have to make the the decision for myself that I won't be a part of that. It doesn't mean that I'm saying you can't do this. You can't say that because that's not in my control. That person's going to say and do whatever they are going to say and do. And Yes, I can give a pass or two, right, to have those conversations to help someone learn how to respond to that boundary. But ultimately, that's up to me how I'm going to handle that person treating me. So am I going to stay with that? Am I then respecting my own boundary that I've set for myself? Or am I going to be able to say, this actually is not going to be for me? So that's like one example. A different kind of a boundary can be like, over the holidays, spending time with your family in a situation that maybe feels really unhealthy and feels really toxic and can be really triggering and setting a boundary for yourself of, you know, if this conversation gets brought up or if, if, if my mom starts making comments about how much I'm eating or how much I'm not eating, um, you know, then I'm going to only stay for, you know, 30 minutes. Like that's not saying that she can't make those comments about you, right? That's not in our control but of how you're going to react when those things do come up, I think is hard. And that's why boundaries are so hard to actually assert because it's, we have to take responsibility for them. But oftentimes we think that it's just, we have to hold true that this person can't do that to us. It's like, that's not, it's not how it works. So I've never heard really anyone put it that way. So it's yeah. great. Yeah. It's like so, you got to take accountability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so because we are short on time, We'll wrap things up mm-hmm. with, uh, we'd love to hear what you're most excited about in your, in your life and your business right now, mm-hmm. and then how people can find you. Yes. 
What I'm most excited, I'm, I'm very excited about two things lately that have really been giving me a lot of joy and excitement. And one of those is actually the podcast, um, called let's talk about it with Taylor Nolan, which is, can be, can be found on any major podcast platform. Um, because as I'm going through this little break with the podcast, I'm really feeling so much more engaged with my guests and I've, I've changed it up in a few ways that I'm recording in person a lot more, which makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm being much more selective about who my guests are, where before I just kind of felt like, yeah, you know, whoever wants to come on, like, yeah, certainly. Like, I'm always down to have a conversation. Um, but I'm being much more selective on ter- in terms of the conversations and the people I want to have on. And in that topic area, it's a lot of sexual health. And I'm also just loving the people in, like, the sexual community because they are so open and they are so raw and they're so vulnerable. And that excites me so much and brings me so much joy. And I had a moment before coming down to L.A. where I was um, – listening to one of the episodes I recorded in Toronto and I was just like, wow, I'm really enjoying this. I was like, this is really great. Like, I'm so happy I get to do this. This is like so exciting. Um, so very excited for where the podcast is going and I'm happy I made those, made those changes. Yeah. And then the second one is like a new, a new love person, like a new love interest, Mm -hmm. a romantic thing. (laughs) Yeah. Which feels very, very exciting. And you know, it's, it's always scary to put yourself out there. It's always scary to like to be vulnerable with someone. And I'm really challenging myself to just stay open. And I've, I've struggled with people like being nice to me. I'm like, why are you being so nice? Like, what do you want? (laughs) Like, I don't know if I can trust this. And when I let go of all of that, I am experiencing so much joy and I'm like feeling really giddy and gushy and like happy. And I'm like, that's good. Like continue to feel that way. Like keep that, like, don't, don't shut that down. Feel all the feelings. Yes. That's wonderful. (laughs) That's so wonderful. So where can people find you other than definitely tuning in to the let's talk about it podcast for more of these conversations? Yeah. So most of those all take place on Instagram at Taymocha, which is T-A-Y-M-O-C-H-A. And most people think that that's because I'm brown. They're like, oh, Taymocha, ho, ho, get it, because you're brown. And I'm like, actually, it's because it's just like, I'm a crazy cat lady. And it's very much on brand with that. My first cat was named Mocha Joe. And so I like combined our names together when I was little. Oh, and I so was like, cute. we're Taymocha. <laughs> that's so cute. so cute. I love that. Yes. <laughs> Well, we appreciate you so much. You truly are an inspiration. Mm -hmm. And especially with us having a new podcast, like I feel so empowered having this talk with you. And there's so many topics that I want to dive deeper into. Mm -hmm. So I just have to say, everybody Mm -hmm. does need to go to your podcast because if you you are that person that doesn't Mm -hmm. feel comfortable talking about sex, that doesn't feel comfortable exploring different types of Mm -hmm. relationships, that has dealt with Mm cyberbullying, you cover all of those things. And so I think that's a great resource for people. Thank you so much. You're so sweet. We're going to keep talking after this and talk about getting naked in front of locker rooms and masturbation. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Taylor. Yes, thank you. Well, that was a dynamic, interesting conversation, and we can't wait to hear your thoughts on this episode. 
Yeah. And if you're enjoying our podcast so far, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a positive review so we can keep bringing on guests you want to hear from and grow this community. We'd also encourage you to take a screenshot of the episode and tag us on your Instagram stories at solo 2.0 podcast so we can share it as well. Thank you for listening. And remember, even if nothing feels right today, you tuning into this podcast and opening your mind is enough. Change doesn't happen overnight. So be patient and kind to yourself and good things will come. See you next time.